Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In a few moments, Thought Speak will begin its broadcast. This is a dramatization, and in the midst of the horror and chaos, you will notice that we cannot interrupt for a commercial. For those of you that have heard the show in the past, you will find very little changed. And if you intend to stay with us for the next hour and a half, all these things are done to let you pull in the reins of your imagination. Incredible? You're absolutely right, it is incredible. And you are about to hear the results. dedicated to the discussion of the 1996 book series Animorphs, written by K.A. Applegate. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. What up, everybody? What a show we have for you this week. I mean, we say that a lot. We build up a lot of episodes of the show, but this one, this one in particular. This week we've got a winner for you all. <laughs> or do we? I actually don't know Mitch's review. No, we don't know. We don't know what each other thinks of it, other than it's the start of something great. It's the start. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna lay it out for you guys. I'm gonna be just as hard hitting as I always am. I, this book is not perfect, but this is the start of my favorite books in possibly any book series that's ever existed that I've read. So I'm gonna be a little. Gonna be a little fanboyish over the next three episodes. Yeah, of course. Uh, we we speak, of course, of Animorphs Book Twenty: The Discovery, which is book a one very of the David special trilogy. <laughs> right, kickoff part one of a trilogy. Even says so on the back. Yeah, which was uh spooky as a kid because it's like, hey, I've got these book series, Animorphs. I can you know pick it up at a book fair. I don't really need to worry about any kind of continuity. As long as you read the first book first, and even then, most of these catch-up chapters, you know, you get into the book series wherever you want, really. But this, this was something new. And I don't know of any other book series, chapter books, at the time that that did, like, a three-parter or anything like that. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about that either. Sideways Stories from Wayside School. Yeah. That had three books. (laughs) Well, yeah, it had books, but... But it had, but it didn't really have like a ton of continuity. Even the books that were one big storyline, they usually didn't do a series that, or a book in particular that ends with "to be continued" in you know book twenty one. No, uh, of course not. Yeah. Um. This, yeah, this is. Uh, I remember this book confusing me as a child because I didn't remember Marco looking the way he did with his, his weird haircut. <laughs> yeah. Well, he got a haircut in book ten, the android. Yeah, and you know, I realize now the last Marco book we got uh, was way back when, you know, he was confronting Visor 1 once again underwater with the sharks. The escape. Yeah. Um, and this book lets you know right off the bat, get ready, there's a brand new Animorph. It's got yes. Marco turning into the Cobra. The Spoilers. Front. In fact, Marco looks so different, you could maybe, like, assume that's the new Animorph or something. I know, exactly, yeah. That That's <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I, I thought, oh, is that the new Animorph? Whoa. Well, anyway, walk us through the through the back summary, would ya? Well, okay, I will. In just one moment. I did oh. want to say the only thing I can think, the only other book series that kind of did something like this, I think it was really surprising uh, to read a, a book series like Goosebumps, where each book was a completely different story, and then you hit, like, Monster Blood number two, and you're like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it had sequels. <laughs> that was sequels. always fun. Yeah, it had sequels to some of the most popular books within the series. Which I thought was a really clever idea because it usually wasn't the same kids from the first book. It was usually just like 
like the haunted mask they're kept you know they built upon the universe of these haunted masks within each sequel book which was really clever with it being completely different kids oh sure yeah like the uh i think that slappy the dummy went around from kid to oh, he, kid as well he got passed around more than a cheap whore on halloween <laughs> <laughs> i think that was also in one of his plot lines yeah yeah so i said halloween <laughs> <laughs> he got mixed in with the the haunted mask yeah but um yeah so this it's just a very interesting concept and for animorphs it works because you already have that baseline continuity uh you just take a story up a notch by you know having an even tighter more focused continuity by telling a kind of a trilogy arc story well plus you know trying to add another character is just it's just a cool concept everyone wants to see how it works out i know it's really early in the podcast episode for a tangent but i would just say uh, another way they could have done this i think a, more, a really interesting way they could have done this is either with this trilogy or have another book before the uh, auxiliary animorphs um have them you know maybe this trilogy happens and later on they come across another person who is a good person who they know is a good person they have connections with um who either their parents die or whatever you want to set it up with to put the animorphs to having to make a choice on whether to accept another person into their fold and train them and maybe this time it goes really well and this person's a great addition to the team and then that person dies because of inexperience and then you have an entire book of them dealing with okay we tried this again <laughs> and now we got somebody killed that would have been a hella interesting book right yeah you you want to see more darker storylines well, I, I don't even think you <laughs> come do that. to fruition i don't even think you'd have to do that any darker than this storyline this storyline gets really dark if you remember well yeah a lot of the stuff does especially any anyone who's allowed morphing power is just not gonna have a good time ultimately oh my gosh dude this the next book in this is like empire strikes back with a rated r i mean it's it gets dark (laughs) the whole cousin i don't know how much of that you remember but jake and rachel's cousin oh yeah i recall yeah it's it's gonna go places um anyway but i'm just saying like later that would have been a really interesting book the fact that they all have so many close calls and they're so experienced at this point you see it in this book and i assume the next two how close david gets to death uh, on multiple occasions just because of his inexperience and then throwing this kid into battles even though that's what they went through they lucked out so if you had a book where they had an awesome new animorph who just threw inexperience just wasn't ready to go to war. I think that could have been a really profound book in a series. Well, I think they all had the advantage of wanting to work together and, you know, be a team. Whereas David kind of, he's just got that lone wolf mentality. Um, and then you can tell right off the bat. Which you can kind of tell that he's like, um, I mean, I think you could make an argument for his... Um, douchebaggery and tendencies being based on uh the fact that he just lost his parents his whole life is flipped upside down uh he gets moved around a lot but he also shows some things that you could say are the beginning signs of an actual like psychopath like just no emotion no empathy whatsoever yeah um it would have been nice to um find out a little bit more about his background and and see why he's such a twisted character i just wish they would have had more books with them i mean you've got that weird 
later on book Krayak, where he comes back. But yeah, I try not to think about that one because I didn't like it that much. <laughs> yeah, it's just I only read it again every once in a while because it's David, it's the best character in the entire series. And I I will make that statement right here on this podcast. David is the best and most interesting character in the entire Anor series. In Coleman's opinion. No, that's a fact. <laughs> in in the podcast. <laughs> well, let's get into it. I'm going to read the back of this book. Well, let's uh, let's take a look at the cover and stuff first. Yeah, so, the cover, as I mentioned, is is Marco morphing Cobra. King Cobra, which they don't make the distinction in the book for some reason. But, yeah, it's a pretty sweet cover. You got, you got your general clouds, multiple colors in the background, shiny Animorphs uh, logo. Yeah. Not terrible. And then I thought the uh the inside flap was actually pretty cool since it includes the feet of uh Hork-Bajir. Yeah, it's probably the most accurate book inside cover. Yeah, I know. This one made, made me plot. think that perhaps the marketing team actually read this one or something. Dude, it's the David trilogy. All of Scholastic had one of these in their drawers. <laughs> uh... I also would like to point out that on uh the inside inside cover like the back of the uh picture of the hork feet and all that i have a smiley face from some sort of library or i'm not sure oh so you uh stole your book from the library i don't think so this is the what this is one of my original books this is like my invasion like this is from when i originally read the series so i don't remember drawing this and i thought i bought it new so that's weird I- I'm only saying that because he gave me crap about my mentioning that mine was donated from a library. Well, yeah, because you are a horrible person. You steal from kids at libraries. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that's not the case with me. Naturally. Boom. Okay, I'm going to run into the back of the book. See what it says. The blue box Elfinger used to create the Animorphs has been found by a kid named David. David has no idea what he has or what it can do. But Marco does, and when he sees David with it, he knows the Animorphs have to get the box, at any cost. But what should have been a simple plan ends up going horribly wrong, and David is on the run with the Animorphs and Axe. Now they have only two choices, turn David over to the Yerks, or make him the sixth Animorph. Part one of a trilogy. Was that a weird back to you? The way that It's like really, really short sentences that don't end when they should. Uh... I don't know. I I think it pretty accurately uh, sums up the the plot of this one. Actually. That's a good plot. I was just saying it's written weird. Like I kept expecting the sentences to be longer. A lot short. of times these these summaries don't give you any indication about what the meat of the book is about, but this basically nails it. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's true. And well, it, ha- it does a good job of uh, just getting out the whole uh, setup. Yeah, that's true. If you read the back of the book... Basically, that whole thing happens in the first couple of chapters. Yeah, you'd have a good jumping-off point for uh, just getting into the rest of the book. So, this book starts out uh, pretty well. I think every Marco book has a flair to it, and you can tell that the uh, whoever wrote it, whether it was Michael Grant or uh, Catherine Applegate, they uh, they like Marco, and they like writing Marco, and they're you can, you can tell in the pages. So, this one's starting out with Marco hitting on a girl named Tashandra, and just crapping out, that's a good opening. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, there is a giant exposition dump there, and then uh, at the end of chapter one, we get 
right to the the bulk of the story where you know he sees the kid walking down the hall and notices the uh blue box in his hands which i like this uh this frazzled marco we don't see this very often he usually uh knows what to say he usually is confident this he's just completely thrown through a loop seeing the uh blue box or the uh, escafil device as axe calls it later yeah and I'm, I'm surprised he even was able to identify it but i think that's a I think that night in the construction yard is one that none of them have uh, forgotten, either consciously or subconsciously, thanks to their nightmares. Uh, so, you know, they they would recognize, I would think. I, I just assume it's, like, glowing and, like, this big thing. So this kid's just walking around with it, like, in his hands for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he just walks around with it like it's his nightlight or something. <clears throat> yeah, so Margo just goes up to them all. You know, can't find the words to say, just randomly coming off as an idiot. And uh, well, it's funny because he goes, "Yo, I don't know why I said yo. I'm not a yo kind of guy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, the kid's like kind of he's like an army brat, but his dad's like with the NSA or something. Either way, they move around a lot, so he's a new kid, and uh, his first impression of Marco is not well, and he's pretty snarky about it, especially when Marco offers to buy the blue box for a like a dollar and some lifesavers. Yeah. Yeah. He makes a pathetic attempt to uh, kind of buy it from him, but it, it doesn't work out so well. And David is kind of put off initially by Marco, but he is making kind of a weird first impression with his sudden interest in the box. Yeah. And uh, so when the bell rings and, you know, everybody goes off to class and Marco runs to find Jake and tell him he found and later he, you, you know he's looking for rachel or anybody and they meet up later i just want to halt to a stop right here <laughs> so it, it cuts to later and they're in cassie's barn discussing this this is in my mind this is not a okay guys let's group up later and, and figure this out this is a holy shit the weapon that the only weapon that we have to fight the yurks which would give the yurks every power that we have and pretty much lose us the war this kid is open carrying it down the hall of a place with known controllers. Yeah. Chapman could have caught him at any moment. We haven't Chapman, seen we haven't seen old Chappie for a while. We haven't, but Chapman and anyone else. I mean this school used to be a Yurkpool entrance, so there's gotta be other controllers working staff. And this kid is open carrying it. And they they do not I don't think they give it the uh um the attention it needs, this this problem of the, somebody. The urgency. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's a big deal. And I wonder how many Yerks or controllers really know what the Escafil device looks like, though. That's a good point. That, that's a really good point, but I, I don't even think you'd risk that. I mean, it's too big. And it's one of those things where it's... um, Even when they start coming up with this plan with the birds and going in to get it, I think they're still just way too lax and, and laid back about it. You shouldn't be sending two people who short straw their way into having to go get this box. It should be the entire team and you shouldn't even, you should go in with tiger morph. I mean, just make sure this happens. <laughs> well, yeah, but in their defense, they did assume that this would be a, a, a very simple task. Um, Cause they all get together and they're quite surprised that, you know, for some, somehow the Escafil device, which they find out that's the name of the uh, morphing device. I don't think we've gotten the name of it 
No, this is the first time. Yeah. Uh, I I miraculously survived the uh, explosion of Elfengor's ship. Not sure how that's possible, but I guess Applegate wanted it to happen, so it it happened. I I know I say this a lot, but I, I chalk it up to one of the higher beings of the series. Since, I mean, yeah, it was a bad thing that later on, spoilers, later on the Yerks get the Escafil device, but it's also a major part of the end of the war. So, you know, this this box floating around, even though it doesn't seem very good for the Animorphs, uh, I'd say it's one of those things that it's like, you know, higher being has a plan and we just don't understand it. So it seems like a bad thing, but uh, maybe it's the only reason the Animorphs won the war. Who knows? I think I think Krayak gave the box to David, or at least put it in his path. Well, he does uh, have a weird allegiance with him later on. So. Yeah, so <laughs> that, that theory might hold some water. Maybe. Who knows? Um, but as you mentioned, their their plan here, yeah, is to uh, go birds and just kind of fly in there. And Tobias even, even tells them that it's like windows open, you could fly right in. I could have done it now, but I had to come back and report what I'd found. Yeah. And before they can start the mission, fucking Eric, you know, he walks over to your table at Burger King and you're, you know, you're about to have a bad day. Yeah. Always love having a visit from Eric. Yeah. He comes over with a whopper and just starts uh, chewing. I love the line by Marco saying that I know that food is just being incinerated. So it's just everything with Eric doesn't act. Um, Just a passes human. And Eric tells them about just the biggest mission they could possibly, if they hoped for missions, this would be one that they would hope for. The six leaders of the six most powerful nations in the world are going to be meeting conveniently in their uh, Bayside town or, you know, (laughs) San Diego. Yeah, wherever they live. Mm -hmm. And Eric tells them that it's not just a matter of, you know, this the summit being, you know, a target for the Yerks, it's, there's already plans and motions. This is happening. And that, while that's a big deal and that's something they should watch out for, the fact that he knows at least one of the leaders is already uh, a Yerk controller just ups the ante. They can't just warn these people. They can't come out to them with their secret like they're trying to do every five seconds. Yeah, uh, somebody's, really somebody's a controller and they don't know who... Which Just to add that little extra tinge of drama. Let's stop again real quick. So this is this kind of goes to the larger question that we've brought up on the podcast multiple times. The Yurk invasion, how big is it? Is it just this town? Is it multiple towns? Because if one of these leaders is already a controller, that implies that the Yurk invasion's, you know, intercontinental. <laughs> Calling it right now. It's the... Uh... Jap- Japanese prime minister. <laughs> that would explain a lot of things. But no, I think Japan. I'm I'm going to uh I'm going to go ahead and say that even though this newfound world leader who's a controller uh implies that the Yurk invasion is a lot larger than the series has implied so far, I'm going to go ahead and say that it's still contained within this area of the United States and that the Yurk saw an opportunity to go after one of these other leaders at some point thought it would be a good idea and uh i don't know like 
hijacked his plane like they do later in this or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with you if it were like the British Prime Minister, they'd just snag him while he visited LA. No, it's while. probably uh it's probably Putin. Putin. And uh Putin came to the Yerks willingly. No, no, I, I think he got captured and that would explain why he suddenly regressed into a nineteen forties era dictator trying to land grab. <laughs> careful uh, we, what, if, what if we have russian listeners that's as i was say we just lost some listeners in russia listen <laughs> if you're in russia and you're listening to this podcast right now your leader i'm sorry but we think putin is fucking crazy <laughs> i know we're american not in a good way i know we're americans and that your tv radio shows are telling you that the americans are against you but honestly your leader is showing signs of starting world war three and he's telling you it's a good idea <laughs> don't listen to him <laughs> uh okay thought speak does not need to get involved in any political wars that thought speak is anti-red anti-communist <laughs> boom said it stance laid out well good everyone needs to know our political affiliations anti-yerk unless they're good yerks <sighs> so plot wise <laughs> i believe we were talking about birds breaking into bedrooms yeah, and failing miserably, uh, which I blame Tobias for this. I honestly do. He did the scout. He was supposed to warn them of everything. Maybe Marco was a little antsy to get in there for some reason. I mean, he seemed, I think, finally having a mission that seemed simple. Marco took the lead for once, and uh, Tobias didn't warn him about the stupid stick. They're going yeah. in through a window. It's, it's a one-shot, in-and-out mission. This is a very simple thing Tobias could have mentioned, and he just chose last minute to do it. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense, but uh, unfortunately, they they screw it up. Um, Marco bumps the stick, which uh, shuts the window, locks Tobias out, and he ends up stuck behind a dresser and assaulted by uh, David's cat. Megadeth. Megadeth. Awesome name for a cat. I love that Tobias just slams into the window comically. And... Uh... And then, yeah, it leaves Marco to fight this cat, which they actually do. It gets some serious wounds from a house cat. Oh, uh, we almost forgot. We we glossed over a joke, I guess. Um, before they even do the mission, they, they go to a Burger King bathroom to do their morphing. And um, there's kind of a funny part where a manager thinks they're doing drugs in the bathroom. It's Marco so and like... Jake morphing. <laughs> yeah. And the manager busts open the door because he thinks they're doing drugs. And Jake has to make up a little lie about Marco being his little brother with a beaconoma, a disease that causes a growth like a beak. There was a nice little touch, I thought, in this little scene that you're talking about right now. Uh, he calls fake little brother Marco Tommy. Yeah. Like, it's his brother's name, but he, he still relates. I don't know. I just, I know that's random and doesn't seem that special but the fact that he called him tommy and it still has like his brother on the mind and like made that association i thought that was like smarter writing than anyone would ever give credit for does that make sense is that weird what that he that he called him tommy instead of marco like it was written that way that, that she connected the dots and was thinking about her character and his brother and he called the fake little brother tommy i don't know that was that was unique to me i thought that was ascended writing that other authors wouldn't think of little things like that. Well, he's he's the leader of the Animorphs. Would you expect anything less? 
I wouldn't, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, back in, in David's uh, bedroom where things are going wrong, um, Marco's trapped and he's being assaulted by a cat. Um, this is where this is where he gets rescued by Rachel, of course, in her giant eagle morph because they said she couldn't go in initially because she's too big, but now she's just like, screw that. Once the mission's gone south, she's going to fly right in through the closed glass. Rachel finds a way. That's the that's the defining thought of the series. I'm surprised she didn't fly up like 30 stories, demorph quick, and then remorph grizzly, and then just crash through the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they might have still gotten away with this if it wasn't for Rachel doing that. I mean, that was probably the big noise that came, or that made David come up running the, up the stairs. So. Right, yeah, because not long after uh he is interrupting them and they're not able to get the blue box they have to retreat when he grabs a bb gun and starts taking pot shots at him which again i mean i mean okay so he's shooting with the bb gun they obviously state the rule that he's an innocent they discussed beforehand he's an innocent bystander we can't hurt him that's fine i'm with you animorphs don't hurt innocent people especially kids but with something as big of a deal as the blue box, you know, maybe swipe at him a little more. Put a little more effort into getting this box out of there. You could have done a hundred things. You could have flew into his face without actually, like, raking his eyes like Marco brings maybe up. Maybe they should have used the entire team for the mission and had Cassie there frightening him with Wolf Morph. Uh, Jake could have busted out... Um... Probably not Rhino. The Some other Animorphs could have at least come him. and been nearby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, they thought it would just be a simple mission in and out. I know. but this And is yeah, like... you're right, you're right. They did greatly underestimate the urgency. Yeah, I mean, even if it's a simple mission, it's a big deal, the payload, you know? So... I'm surprised, uh, personally, that Axe didn't take a, a, a more personal larger stake in it yeah okay axe freaks out if there's like a really fancy computer nearby but a piece of andalite technology is in some kid's hands and he's not going to be trying to get it at all costs that he, seems he really was very uh, yeah he was very casual about it yeah so that's i would say that's the major little plot hole of this book the fact that everybody's just like all right guys let's regroup tomorrow we're totally gonna do this uh, yeah, basically, because after blundering the mission, it cuts immediately to the next day in school, where David comes up to Marco, since he is now, like, the only person that David even knows in the school. I like that, though. It's a nice little touch. As somebody who moved around a lot as a kid, I thought it was a nice touch that David, like, doesn't like Marco, but he's a possible friend or a possible, you know, route to having some kind of social life, so... He just, whatever, this cool thing happens, so I'm going to tell this guy about it, you know? Yeah, and um, I think it might also have helped that, you know, he tells him about how somebody tried to steal his uh, blue box that Marco thought was so cool the other day. Um, and they did it with trained birds, apparently. Yeah, that was, that was a cool joke as well. But he tells Marco about the fact that he's got an email set up through his dial-up, apparently. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> to go out at a certain time. I don't even know how to do this now in today's technology. Set up an email to go out at a certain time. <laughs> I have no um, idea how you would do that. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure Google can make it happen somehow, but Maybe. I don't know why you'd want to. I What I do do sometimes is write an email and then just save it as a draft. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll send it uh, like later. Why wouldn't you just get home and then you don't have to worry about whether your dad used the phone line at the wrong time or anything like that. You just go home and hit send when you get home and then you you can be there when this guy gets, shows up at your address. Because the author needed to add a it's sense a of urgency time. with some kind of time limit <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for Which our characters is, to race against. It is cool. It is cool thing that it's like, okay, this guy sent an email off with his address to Visitor 3 pretty much. Which, okay, your thoughts on what Visitor 3's email address is. Go. Um, It's probably like, oh, you know what? It's, uh, it's this is inappropriate, so if you're a young listener, cover your ears. But it's, it's boo-boo-kitty-fuck at gmail.com. I was going to say something like uh, catfancylover at, you know, hotmail.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, catfanciest. <laughs> I have to, dude when you gave that warning to kids i thought you were gonna drop like the c-bomb or something like something really inappropriate <laughs> uh no just just the f-bomb <laughs> oh i almost did um but, but I, I couldn't resist the uh the reference yeah the cat reference i i agree um no the movie but... reference just I want I just am now picturing Visitor Three in some kind of like weird furry chat room from nineteen ninety six uh, internet. Do you suppose it was like him himself monitoring the internet for all this stuff, or do you think he delegated this task out to like someone in his staff that happened to catch it and bring it to his attention? I'm sure it's delegated, but it's like because uh... he's pretty obsessive, man. I could imagine him sitting up in the blade ship, like it's totally cloaked. And he's got like an internet tab open and he's just going through searching for any kind of keywords that he can find. But I don't even see what they could have searched or been monitoring where this would have popped up, you know? Mm-hmm. Craigslist. Well, I know, but it's like, what do you, I mean, if he's got like Google word search on where, it, you know, like emails you if certain words are searched for or pop up. Like, I guess that they're looking for, like, strange artifact, weird writing. I don't know. Blue box. Blue box. That'd be a big one. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. How I want to see that. I want to read that book on the uh, York shop, the day-to-day, or the York ship. Uh, <laughs> the day-to-day. search for the blue box. <laughs> Something like that. Meet the York that cracked the code. <laughs> he got a promotion. He's now a sub-visitor, like, 140 or something. Jerry the York. He's like, basically, all I did was search for Blue Box, and uh, this one came up finally. Jerry. Anyway, so this email's going out. Marco finally shows the attention that this disaster deserves and flips out and goes grab at everybody. They still wait. I mean, I know all the Animorphs can't take off of school at the same time. That'd be a big red flag to anybody watching, but still like they wait like three more periods until they finally decide to send marco to take off of his last two classes and go get this thing (laughs) yeah and you know marco decides of course he's gonna go get x since it is something 
to do with computers and if there's a password really x should have just been involved from the get-go but whatever um he goes to get x and they're they're they get lost kind of looking for david's house until tobias is able to kind of point him in the right direction well it's like, funny because he has a hard time finding x to begin with you'd think they would have a quicker way to get hold of x or or at least like when some big disaster is going down like the fact that this blue box is running around uh, it's weird that Tobias isn't like hanging around the school just in case, or you know, something where they could get everybody together quicker. Well, it's too bad it's the '90s and it's before cell phones exist. They needed Power Ranger watches. Oh yeah, <laughs> little <laughs> wrist communicators. <laughs> yeah, it would be awesome to have Tobias like with a cell phone strapped to his little talon, though. His <laughs> uh, ringtone would probably be hilarious. Um. So they they meet up with Tobias, who actually leads him to uh, David's house, and they plan to use Roach Morph to sneak inside the house when, um, in kind of a funny scene, Axe discovers that the the door to the house is unlocked. So he just opens it up and walks right in. Well, Marco does. Marco's the one who makes the dumb choice and walks right in. And then Tobias <laughs> is like, no! Tangent number 642 of this episode hit me with your best tangent so their plan here is we've got to do whatever it takes to make sure this email doesn't go out right yes of course the way they're talking about it it sounds like they're going to stop this computer and they they have a couple lines that make make it sound like this is all they're going to do yeah. they need to stop this email from going out pull the plug on the computer whatever but what stops david from being like oh my email didn't go out and he sends it immediately after <laughs> yeah i know well no because they even try to mention oh we should try to make it look like it's sent so that it fools him into thinking that you know he won't get a reply and he'll but think why? the guy's not interested why are you messing with all of this why is it even matter i know i know there's so many better the ways they, they could have gone about doing this more of a grizzly bear and get the box at this point it doesn't matter about scaring the kid it doesn't even really matter about hurting the kid. You're going to do way worse things for, like, later on in the series for much smaller problems, okay? This is not a moral gray area. That box is the most deadly weapon on the planet right now, and you're just letting this kid take care of it. Marco should have went gorilla. Really? He didn't even have to go gorilla. Have Marco, in human morph, run up and punch the kid and take it. Whatever trouble he'd get into for that <laughs> would not matter in the slightest. Well, that would draw attention to him then, and then the vice principal Chapman would, you know, have to break up a fight between two students, one with a, a blue box. You know, that'd be no good. That's true. Have Axe morph a random, like, big biker guy and just grab this kid's backpack, tear it off his back, and run down the street. Like, anything would be better than what they're doing. <laughs> yeah definitely they they should have definitely treated this with much more urgency and like you're saying you know be ruthless about it this is that important because it doesn't matter even to this kid it's like oh crap i lost this thing i found in a construction site it's not even going to be that bad of a thing for him at the end of the day if he had to get it stolen from him or even if they were kind of rough with him it wouldn't be that big of a deal in a scheme of his life you know, yeah. compared to what actually happens. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, what's keeping them from, from succeeding in grabbing the blue box this time is not only is this alarm system going off, 
David's dad, like, immediately comes home. <laughs> yeah, his NSA gun-toting dad. Right. So their initial re- reaction is to hide. And uh, Axe kind of clunks his way into the closet, and Marco tells him to morph something small, while he himself uh, scoots under under David's bed. And um, this is where he makes a shocking discovery that I think we figured out based on the underflap cover. Um, <laughs> this is where David's pet cobra sleeps. Yeah. And I, I got to say, so beginning of the book, interesting. It's good. I like where it's going. Sets up a cool story. Then you run into those major, major writing problems. This is just like, this is not the Animorphs. This is not what they would do. There's big issues with the plot, with what we just went over and talked about. But here, right here, this is where the book just like ramps up into level nine good storytelling and, and interesting things happening. So Margo is under the bed with his cobra, who he just hopes doesn't, you know, kill him. Luckily, David told him that it, you know, doesn't have poison anymore. Yeah, it had its poison fangs removed. Yeah, but still, he, you know, reaches forward to morph it because David's dad's there, and he's about to find both of them, uh, like a half Andalite, half cock or spider uh, yeah, morph. Yeah, he tells and then, him he's going spider. Yeah, so Margaret gets bit by this thing, makes a noise, and his dad's about to go after him. Then Axe makes a noise from the closet, just, just hijinks all around bumbling <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh after a second while marco starts morphing into the snake um axe comes out in half spider half fandalite morph and scares the crap out of uh david's dad yeah um it's kind of a, a almost comical scene where they're sort of forced into talking to david's dad because that's how bad the situation has gotten, and explain themselves, basically. And Marco makes up... There's a lot of funny dialogue in this book. Um, Marco spits out the classic line, Klaatu, Verada, Nictu. You know what what movie that's from? No. What? Are you kidding me? Oh, oh, no. Yeah, sorry. It's from um, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, we we didn't mention the fact that Axe... The reason Axe is morphing out in the middle of the uh, room in front of his dad is because Marco accidentally ate him and poisoned him. Right, yeah. Marco has a hard time controlling the uh, the cobra morph. Like most of them do. Mm-hmm. The first time they have a morph. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah, so Axe is demorphing. David's dad's like flipping out, telling him to stop. Marco starts talking to him. Uh, as an alien, and it's just just a hilarious scene of, of Marco trying to pull off invasion of the body snatchers type, convincing him that he's an alien, but he's he's peaceful and please don't shoot, even though I'm morphing. Yeah, it's it's hilarious, except for the fact that they have failed to stop this email from going out, and they're almost certain that Visor Three's on his way. In fact, he shows up freaky fast, like he must yeah. have gotten a ride from a Jimmy John's delivery guy because he is there. I think think he was waiting on this email, like, ready to go. Um, And the fact that that Marco distracts his dad with the fact that David skips school because David's just getting home. And his dad is actually, for a minute, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to catch my kid skipping school. And 
Yeah, that was a little unbelievable at the moment. <laughs> a little. It was almost believable in the sense that it's like how a parent would act, you know, the things that would distract them as their kid. If anything, I, I would think in. he'd be a little bit more like, crap, you know, why why does David have to come home right now and deal with this? He shouldn't be here if this gets dangerous or something. Yeah, David runs upstairs and he's like, oh, cool. Right, like, yeah. <laughs> his dad's right there with me. He's like, yeah, he says he's some kind of alien. Oh, you're grounded, kid. <laughs> I did like that David just completely ignores the fact that he's grounded. Pretty much. Well, yeah, Marco tries warning them that all hell's about to break loose. Um, I like that they kind of pseudo-swore. Because, you know, when you're when you're a much younger child, you, you catch little things like hell and damn. <laughs> yeah, because most of the cursing in this book is like, the like you see earlier in this book when uh, Marco tells Jake about the email going out at, you know, 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock. Oh, yeah, and, and it's got and Jake Jake's... says, oh, and then the bell rings in uh, Onomatopoeia. Uh-huh, it would have been, like, you could totally imagine it in the show or a movie. You know, it's the quick cutaway. Yeah, <laughs> hilarious. We've got Visitor 3 and his his hop-along team of hork showing up to uh, <laughs> bust into the house immediately like a team of football players. <laughs> yeah, and he has like a a witty line when he busts in. What does he say? He's like, "Visitor three X sneered in hatred. We heard shots. We thought maybe we could help." The visitor said mockingly. <laughs> Classic visitor three. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then he's you know, I'm here to buy the blue box. David's like, "You want to buy it?" He's like, "And I'll pay for it with your lives." Yeah, classic. He's he's twirling his mustache, classic villain style. He's twirling as hard as he could twirl. <laughs> well, he really wants that box, basically. Yeah, and although I don't know why he would, man, he's like giving away his his big his big power. Well, I think the I think what Visitor Three represents is not just a because his morphing power never really helps. It never really ups the ante. I mean, it does. It's like a boss fight within these books but for the most part i think the fact that he's an andalite and what that represents to the yurks being the only andalite host um i think that's why visitor three is so powerful and what makes him special within the yurk empire and the morphing ability is just like cherry on top so the morphing ability to his soldiers though and him acquiring that no pun intended for um uh, for right. his top advisors and uh for the yurk empire you know, that's only good news to him. He'd be shot up to Visitor 1 in, like, 10 minutes, and maybe even, like he says, like, put on the Council of 13. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this goes back to something we talked about a, a long time ago, but we've mentioned once uh, how we don't think Visitor 3 uses his morphs for things like uh, scouting or infiltration or anything of the sort, unless it's, uh, like, the plot in this book where he, he wants to acquire the president. Um, he does plots like that, but we don't really see him, you know, out as a bird flying around watching over people or anything like that. Um, I'm starting to think Visitor 3 doesn't even have a cockroach morph. (laughs) Probably not. He probably probably goes something else. Stag beetle or something. (laughs) What's Visitor 3's bird morph? The catfit bird or whatever? Does he... didn't he turn into one of those ones? Yeah, yeah. The the cafe. Yeah. Oh. But um 
Anyway, so this is just oh, we get a battle in the bedroom. It's a full on battle in the bedroom because uh, Jake and Rachel show up, Grizzly and Tiger. Yeah, um, Tobias and Cassie are downstairs, like stopping more Horkbajir from coming up. And uh, I like I like one of the first lines when this fight starts happening is that the this four room uh, four walled room quickly turned into a two walled room. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. Um, and then we get a we get another new Visor Three morph, um, which is basically just described as like this weird purpley kind of cone armed monster thing, and I think it's got four four like yeah it does. Arms. This is one of the more memorable Visor Three morphs to me for some reason. Just the fact that I can kind of picture it the the cone hands that are like red uh, spines, and he shoots them out. And then retracts. Like well, the, and this one seems particularly good for like cl- close quarters kind mm-hmm. of combat. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know why he doesn't use it more often. It's called a dual fansa. It's even got a cool name. Yeah, well, he never reuses a morph. He always whips out a new one. I know, but man, this is like one that he could use indoors. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, he needs to like I don't understand. He needs to pick a battle morph. He's like also oh, that's a creature. The dual fansa is a creature that they should have controllers of. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, if it's like an animal, they have problems a lot of times with animals. Right, that could be the restriction, but wow, yeah. could you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of, I, I really think Visitor 3 needs to sit down, pick a battle morph, something that's versatile, can move quickly, uh, is, is unstoppable like many of his morphs, but, you know, practice a little bit with it, you know? Go out there, try it out a couple times. <laughs> right, He's, he's yeah. very impractical with his morphing. I know. I wonder. You know, it would be awesome to see if, like, the Yerks had like an X Men style danger room where Visor Three is practicing all of his morphs. Yeah, but he'll never do anything like that because he's just too egotistical and and so sure of himself. Even though he loses constantly, he's he's the only reason he's so high up in the Yerk Empire is his ruthlessness and his brute force. He's an idiot. He really is a Machiavellian moron. He's a meathead. Yeah, he, he really is. 100%. Um, right, and, and right now, um, David is his number one target because as he's stupid enough to admit, he's got the box right in his backpack and he pulls it out. Um, so, you know, he's the target. Um, Which I understand. Okay, there's aliens in your room. Your dad has lost a finger because he tried to shoot axe. Uh, you're in a weird spot, but David, I mean, come on, what do you, this guy is obviously a bad guy, and if you have any bit of common sense, giving up what they're looking for isn't going to put you in any kind of good position to barter for your life. It's just, it's a weirdest choice. No, David, you know, he just kind of immediately displays that he's not as capable as these kids obviously are, or were. It's not about capability. It's it's like we see in the next book. He's a coward. He's a flat out. I know he's probably thirteen or something, but he's a flat out. Okay, what's gonna get me out of the situation fastest? Here you go. Here's what you want. Even if it's even if you're obviously a bad guy, have it. Go away. Right. Yeah. And that's you know what separates him from our core team of characters. Yeah, even Tobias, who used to get beat up by bullies, has more of a spine than he does. That is true. And David 
pretty much, I think right off the bat, sets himself off as kind of an unlikable sort of kid. He's a twat. <laughs> I wouldn't have said that, but sure. <laughs> anyway, so this the, huge the, battle's the, happening. This huge battle in the bedroom happens, but they, they do get David out. Um, they get the blue box out as well. Uh, they, however, are not able to save David's mom or dad. Too bad for them. They get taken by the Yerks. But um, everyone else gets out safe. And while David's unconscious, uh, they go through his stuff and they pull out the box. And they've got a big decision on their hands. Which I like how this, this kind of little mini argument or discussion goes down. Uh, it's very two-sided. It's you know each of the animorphs are kind of kind of jumping back and forth because even Marco, who were obviously in his first perspective, he's on the side of not doing it. He's very ruthless, very cold, but he makes a logical, good decision. But even in his head, he's like, oh, it would be cool to make more animorphs. This could be good for us in the overall war. Like, he's actually thinking through the process. It's not just uh, Marco's on this side, Rachel's on this side, Cassie's on this side. It's a good discussion. It's really, it's really well No, written. it's an awesome discussion, and I really like the fact that Axe is the one who has the most valid points of why they should not add another member. Yeah, it's it's. I like his lines the best right here. It's, it's really interesting. And they kind of just go for it anyway. <laughs> They're just... And it seemed like, it seemed like, I will say that Cassie very uncharacteristically seemed extremely happy to be uh, at the thought of putting more people in their situation. I mean, I could see, you know, being happy at expanding your numbers and thinking that that increases your odds at winning the war. But at the same time, I would think she, the humanitarian in her, would feel a little bit guilty about, you know, bringing other people into what they have to experience as Animorphs. Well, I think his specific situation, though, is what allowed her to do that. You know, he doesn't have a lot of options any any other way. I mean, at least they would be giving him powers to defend himself at the very They least. could take him to the Free Hork Majir colony. I don't know why that's not discussed. Well, because I think it's I think there's more desperation in this conversation than we're talking about. I think each one of the Animorphs, no matter which side they land on, logically, feel like this overwhelming sense of relief that they don't have to be alone anymore. They don't have to be the only ones to carry this overwhelming burden of defending the Earth. So that alone makes them all stop and think about it, even if they're not talking about that specifically. The idea that, that they don't have to be the only ones who have to put their lives at risk every week, or every day in some cases... That's got to be like just insatiable to go after. No, yeah, we've we've heard them um, all throughout the series talk about how you know it's just us. I mean, this is it. This is this is all that stands between the human race being enslaved by aliens. Um, it, it's just us. Um, they've constantly been bitching and moaning about their their low numbers, and of course they're going to jump at the chance um, when they finally get the ability to do that. It's just yeah. unfortunate that, that it had to happen with David. Crack. Bastard. <laughs> he's, he's messing with everything. Yeah, I, You know what? I just want to point out that Crack was foreshadowed, like, back in, what was that, book five, I want to say? Pretty early. Like, the first, or the, the second Jake book, right? It was yeah. when Jake was a Yerk, wasn't he? 
Yeah. Um, so that was book five. Uh, and we still have not seen Krayak yet. So yeah. kudos on that foreshadowing. Wow. Applegate's <laughs> playing the long the long game. <laughs> exactly. Um, also, is this the second book that we've heard about the uh, Council of Thirteen? Wait, when it's did not we... the first time. When did I know we hear about the Council of Thirteen? In this? It, some York, whether it was Visitor Three or Visitor One, made some offhand comment about the Council of Thirteen before this, but I think it's only happened once. Um. Yeah, we've heard about it at least once. I don't even remember it being mentioned in this book, to be honest with you. We 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 talked about it. Uh, Visitor One. Uh, or not Visitor One. Visitor Three. Um, he talks about. Well, I guess we talked about it, but it hasn't happened yet. A little later on. When he's got them cornered, he starts uh, talking about how he's going to be put on the Council of Thirteen. And oh wait, was that in this book? That actually might be from the I read the next week on Anwar section at the back. That might be in the next book. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> let's not confuse the the listeners or me anymore. <laughs> it's all the um... David trilogy. Who cares? <laughs> uh, everybody decides. Yeah, let's add. Let's try adding David to the team. So um, we get a little time jump here where they take him to Cassie's barn and explain everything about the Yerks. And Marco puts it pretty bluntly about, you know, what is going on with his parents right now. Um, oh, yeah. He walks them through the steps and the horror of the Yerk pool. <laughs> it's like a, a, a harsh slap in the face for David. And he actually has a really hard time accepting it all as most people would as they do at the beginning of the series right right um until they of course bring into uh x and tobias the talking hawk boy mm-hmm. which i guess convinces him i guess that's enough to finally bring him around which that makes sense i mean it's a pretty convincing argument <laughs> when you've got an andalite and a knotlet to uh show off yeah and uh you know what's funny is like this book is almost over and yeah. it feels like it's just been so much setup right now. And I want to say because this is part of a trilogy, I feel like Applegate probably felt like she had more freedom to do longer kind of setups like this. This definitely and... feels like like the fight uh, for David's blue blocks was like the end of act one of a big story, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and now we're we're just moving into kind of Act Two, but it's gonna it's gonna end sort of prematurely here. Um, I but we semi like how it's structured. It's interesting. It's definitely different from the Animorphs books, but I have some thoughts about that at the end. Yeah. Um, so David ends up spending the night at Marco's, and here's just another indication of how shitty a person david really is because in the middle of the night marco wakes up and catches david kind of sneaking off to try and call home um so i don't think this is an indication of a shittiness i think this is something a normal kind of independent kid would do in this situation he doesn't know these other animorphs he doesn't know who they are he doesn't trust them i don't think they've given him any reason to trust them yet so i mean I don't know. They did kind of save his life. Well, he does. He says himself he doesn't see it that way. They ruined his life and just happened to get him out of there. <laughs> right. You know what? Honestly, if they would have just ran up and socked him in the face and grabbed the blue box and ran off, 
that would have saved him a lot of trouble. I anyway. mean, look at it. Look at it from his perspective. So he, they know, they told him that they were the ones, they were the birds who tried to get the blue box originally. They were pretty bumbling at the beginning of this book. They botched every mission with getting this blue box badly. And while they're the good guys, and David's kind of a, almost an antagonist at the beginning of this book, um, you know, from his perspective, and from our perspective, honestly, they're the reason this went as badly as it did. David, sure, he was trying to sell the blue box to the Yurks, and that seems really dumb, but he has no idea what it is. He has no idea that there's a Yurk invasion or that there's any kind of stakes to this. You can't blame right, him for that. Yeah. So No, they they definitely could have handled it a lot better, but... I think know, at I this guess... point, David is a pure innocent. He's a kid thrust in a flat-out traumatizing situation, and... At this point, I don't. I honestly don't blame him for anything yet. No, yeah, you still think of him as kind of a sympathetic character, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this next scene's pretty cool. Marco actually takes him out to a payphone uh, to let him try and call his dad, um, which he does. And Marco's like sitting there monitoring the whole phone call, and obviously, you know, they're Yerks now. They're controllers and. They're just trying to figure out where he's at. Marco has to cut off the call really quick. And not long after that, the controllers show up looking for him since they're somehow able to track their location. Well, I mean, it's pretty easy to track a payphone. Um, but even back then. But. Your technology! It's not, it's human technology. But <laughs> I think their mess up is bringing his dad. I mean, I get that, you know, have his dad call out for him, maybe he'll come quicker. But once that you see that they're like hiding and that they only were at the short, uh, payphone for a short time having his dad flat out talking about the visitor and yurks and stuff well yeah it's, yeah exactly they've got to give that little bit just to make it extra convincing like beyond a shadow of a doubt they're yurks <laughs> yeah then the rest of the animals pop out and start fighting them <laughs> right yeah <laughs> that was a weird little part but they, they get away and it doesn't really lead to much um they just talk about how they, they moved him from house to house for a while um, until he has time to acquire his first morph, which is going to be a bird. They obviously need him flight capable. Um, and they have two birds, not really to choose from. They had one in mind for him. They wanted him to get a this Merlin. smaller bird. Yeah. Um, but because they also had a golden eagle there, he takes an interest in that one. And really causes a big scene when um, he he kind of gets into it with Jake a little bit. Which I can see both sides. I mean, obviously the Animorphs aren't putting up with the shit because they know what they're talking about. They've been on missions. They're super experienced. But they are talking down to a kid. A kid that has obviously a lot of pride and is scared. And so he's going to get defensive and he's, you know... I, I understand David's, like, little freak out of, like, look, I don't know what's going on. You're telling me to morph, and you're not letting me... Now you're choosing my morphs for me. Am I am I actually a part of this team, or am I your little, like, intern, you know? Right, yeah. Well, you got to understand, like, he should... They, they really should have spelled it out for him. Like, you're in a war now. You're not... This isn't, like, a, a democratic team here. This is a guerrilla army force basically and yeah you will be expected to follow orders and you uh will 
you'll have to go through a probationary period. This is incredibly dangerous technology that we're but allowing you the privilege of using. I do think the Animorphs have grown up a lot in the small period of time that they've been Animorphs. And that while they've been bonded and they're obviously they're friends beforehand, but now they're extremely close, you know, just like war buddies would be. Um, they have become clickish. And now that this is the first person who knows their secret, you know, they, they are kind of treating him like he's some young kid who just doesn't understand the realities of war. And while that's 100% true and makes sense, it's only going to put him on the outside and, and push him away. You know what? I think their biggest mistake, I'll say, in this this book is the idea of including him in this huge critical mission what they should have done was stash him with the chi for a week at most and wait to make him an anamorph. They don't need to bring him in on the most dangerous, crucial mission, you know? Yeah. They could, have, they could have put it off a little bit. There's no rush. They could have, you know, let David fall off the radar for a and little it, bit. I get that they're probably scared to not have him, uh, like, with them at all times because he's still an unknown entity. But here's what you do. Here's what the book should have been. All right? If they're just scouting. They're not supposed to actually be getting in a fight in this uh, first mission. You leave Axe in the woods with David, and Axe is like his sensei. And he starts training him in the ways of Animorph. And <laughs> uh, you have a whole book of that, of training him like Yoda in the woods. And no, it, it would have made more sense than to, to have it be Cassie. Yeah, but I mean, it would have been cooler to be axed. But um, <laughs> like have them, have them like training him to be an arrest, uh in the Andalite fleet. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, but yeah, you're you're 100 percent right. They should have not taken him on this first crucial mission. There's a hundred different things you could do right here. No, yeah, but because they try and rush it, um, they give him this golden eagle morph and uh, axe. You know, they bring the Escafil device and they, they want to make it into like some kind of um, ritual, but, you know, they really don't have any good ideas for it. So he just does it. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is cool. And just like that, he's an official Animorph because he's got his, his first morph. Yeah. Um, and I like the little flashback of Marco being like, suddenly Mar I was whisked away back to the construction site where we stood around at Elfangor as he, you know, it was a nice little tie into the beginning of the series. Yeah, and um, they take him back to Cassie's barn to kind of prepare for this first mission. They have to have him at least test out his first morph. Although I didn't realize at the time of reading it, they have him test out his first morph when they're literally going on the way to the mission. Yeah, and in between that period, Cassie took him to the gardens and got him a battle morph, which we don't know what it is yet. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, they don't they don't mention it very much. Um, they just say he's got the golden eagle morph, but. He needs to go get some other some morphs. firepower, yeah. Right, and, uh, and, and it, she gets him a bug morph as well. Yeah, it should also be mentioned that as soon as he goes golden eagle for the first time, he like goes right for Tobias. Yeah, as predicted. <laughs> yeah, um, which Tobias is a funny line about golden eagle. He hates him. <laughs> right, he's always got snarky comments about other birds. Um, but they, they go off flying and, uh, this is where we get to see really the crux of David's character and, and, and who he really is, I think, as in flight, uh, as a golden eagle, 
he does something not so cool to another bird. I mean, he dive bombs a crow, and just an unsuspecting crow, and just kills it. Just kills a crow out of nowhere. I mean, just like like a little kid who ties a puppy up and throws it off a bridge. I mean, it's like a, it's just it's the sign of a psychopath. Uh, well, you know, this is almost kind of hinted at. He did have a BB gun in his room, so I'm not surprised that he's the kind of kid that would shoot birds with a BB gun. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, he, he obviously doesn't have the kind of respect for nature that we've seen the other Animorphs demonstrate. He's the anti-Cassie. I wouldn't... Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> um. Still, I wouldn't say it's it's not that uncommon. Um. Maybe more so, like, out in the country to to have the mentality where it's okay to shoot birds. Um, well, yeah, I'm from West Virginia. I mean, I've gone hunting before. But... I think what strikes him as it being so cruel is the unnecessariness of it. Yeah, I mean, if you're going hunting for sport, even if it's not something, it's not my favorite thing to do, but I kind of understand why people do it. Um, especially, you know, most people who go hunting for like turkeys and stuff, they do eat their turkeys afterwards. So it's somewhat justified, but yeah, just this random like joy and glee he gets from taking out this crow. And it's so unimportant to him to just do this real quick. He does it in front of them as if it's something that they might like cheer him on doing or something, you know, you know what, if it were like a group of adults doing this, I could see that being more normal. But the fact that they are kind of younger kids makes it a little weird to just up and kill animals for no reason. David is a kid with a magnifying glass and an anthill. <laughs> I guess so. He definitely likes uh, feeling the rush of power that comes with the morph. Mm-hmm. So, so this is a turn. I mean, this is this is where the book turns, and they've given hints that maybe David's a bad choice for this. But this is where you're like, oh, okay, that's. He's just, it's so out of character for any of the other Animorphs. Like, none of the other Animorphs would do this. Even, you know, they talk about Rachel being bloodthirsty. She's She wouldn't randomly kill this innocent creature for no reason. No, um, more importantly, though, um, than the fact that he even did it, is the fact that he lies about it, mm-hmm. where where he's like, oh, uh, yeah, my morph must have taken over for a second there. Because, um, you know, if he had just admitted, like, oh, you know, if we're going into this potentially uh dangerous situation i want to at least know how to kind of fight in this morph so i was testing that out like that would have been a good excuse yeah but and he lies about it and mark is the only one who picks up on it although i think you could make an argument that cassie picks up on it uh as well but that's that's for the next book to talk about that's foreshadowing mm-hmm. but so they they get to the summit or where the summit's going to be taking place. This, this giant Marriott hotel uh, on the edge of the sea with these bungalows, um, these bungalows that will most likely house the world leaders who are going to attend this summit. Yeah. And quite conveniently, as soon as they show up, they, they run into uh, what T- Tobias identifies as Marine one, which is kind of like the president's air force one, except it's a helicopter kind of cool you learn things with these animorphs books with a decoy marine one behind it so you don't know which one the president's in right yeah well the yurks know which one the president's in because they pull up in their cloaked blade ship 
But... And then it's kind of cool. I imagine, like, the helicopter just sort of disappearing as the blade ship drives right over it. Well, and, no, uh... they, they open the bay doors, and they create a hologram to fool the other chopper into thinking everything's okay. So they, they make a chopper hologram of Marine One, so it looks like it's continuing on, and then they bring the other, uh, the actual Marine One, into their ship underneath yeah. the hologram. So. Inside the hatch of the blade ship. Pretty clever. And everybody naturally is able to fly inside the, the, the hatch door before it closes. Besides so. Rachel and Tobias. Yeah, Rachel and Tobias, not so lucky. And or maybe they are. It doesn't really matter in the end. <laughs> and then we, I guess the only thing that important that happens right in this immediate time frame, I and mean, they go, they're under Marine One, they demorph to their full human and andalite selves i don't know how they're not seen under this helicopter yeah i don't know how x is not seen underneath the the helicopter or how he fits under the helicopter yeah <laughs> but the only thing that happens important happens here is that they have to go cockroach and david sees the cockroach morph in action in its full disgusting glory and flips out starts screaming which kind of understandable considering their first time morphing bugs but he has no concept of the situation and uh, it nearly gets them killed, but they they're able to go full cockroach before before they're shot and killed on sight. Yeah, he he does have kind of an overreaction um, and just loses his stuff until Cassie is the one who's able to calm him and calm him down. So yeah, that's nice. And I, I like the little manipulation by Cassie by using his uh, tension with Marco to egg him on into doing the right thing. Yeah, it was pretty smart of her, actually. Mm -hmm. And so they they have another, oh no, we're running away from Horkbadir stomping and, and raid spray cam. Right, yeah. This is the big, um, it doesn't feel like it, but this is the big climax of the book, I guess, where they're in Roachmorph and they're climbing all over. Um, uh, what they find out is the president of the United States, um, yeah, who's unconscious in his helicopter. Yeah, they, they well no, they pull the president off and take him somewhere else, and uh, oh yeah, they're gonna put him back on the helicopter after the cockroach and they're running away from all these things. The the president's been taken off the helicopter, uh, and taken somewhere else. They don't know where. They they go through a series of cracks uh, and kind of pipes that take them into the room where the president is, and that's when they latch onto him and like crawl up his pant leg. And it just so happens that the president's been taken directly to Visitor Three a couple of guards. So they're able to hear him say, you know, they, their thought for after Eric told them that, you know, the Yorks were going after the president, they assumed they wanted to infest the president. But what's really happening is that Visitor 3 not trusting his subordinate to be the most powerful man in the world uh, is actually going to acquire him as a morph. And uh, Visitor 3 is yeah, going to have a presidential morph. Smart idea, right? How is he going to find time to do that? <laughs> Especially you... when he can only make two-hour appearances. Well, not only that, but what do you do with the old president? You can't really just switch him out conveniently whenever you want. No, I assume they're going to, what, tie him up and hide him at the Yerk base? I don't know. I, I have no idea. It's I mean, not a very good plan. The only thing that makes sense is to put a Yerk in him as well. And have all the important stuff go down with Visitor Three, or something. Ah, uh, yeah. That at could the be end it. of the day, you still got to have the president in his own body doing the day to day stuff, so you don't raise suspicion. Yeah, I think he would stuff a yerk in him just to be safe. But yeah, keep him, 
Keep him in an office somewhere or something. Let Visitor 3 handle all the big stuff. Yeah. Anyway, but, so, he acquires them. He gets away with it. There's nothing the Animorphs can do. And at this point, they're just like, okay, well, we just need to get out of here. We know this is happening. Um, they bail on the president as the president's being put back on the helicopter. And they find themselves back underneath the helicopter. Right, yeah. Because they don't have anywhere else to go. Although they didn't really intend on um, the Yurks doing what they do and just kind of opening up the hatch and <laughs> letting them be on their way. And this is the... So everyone's dumped out. Yeah, this is the weird ending of the first book where it's, the Animorphs are in peril. Join us next time on Animorphs. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know what? It At first I thought it was like, well, that's not very dramatic or yeah it's that's not very um of a big cliffhanger with them falling out of the blade ship because they've survived falls from tall heights well, they've done numerous this, books before this they've but done this exact about same it, thing again before you know right right but if you think about it the dramatic cliffhanger is not the fact that they're falling from high heights but the fact that uh the Yerks now have presidential access, basically. Yeah, and they failed again in trying to help at all. And I guess it does one perilous other aspect of it is the fact that even if they've done like quick morphs to get out of a big fall, David sure hasn't. <laughs> right, yeah, so there is still a little bit of the element of, you know, right away in, in book in the next book, I assume we're gonna have a, an opening scene of them um, trying to talk David through his first, you know, rapid morph. Either that or, you know, I mean, it's a shame there aren't two decent-sized Animorphs in Bird Morphs already outside waiting to see what's going to happen. Oh, uh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are in Cockroach Morph, so. Yeah, and, you know, even if they did fall all the way in Cockroach Morph, it's not like you'd kill them. They, they should just stay in Morph. They'd probably be fine. They no, have... they totally could. They could probably, once they get nearer to the ground, they could just glide down. Well, they have wings. You don't even have to glide right. down. <laughs> you fly. <laughs> no, so there's no the, there's no tension here. The The only drama that comes from it is the fact that the Yerks are moving forward with their president plan. Yeah. So. But that's the end of this book. And, uh, yeah, if, if that don't make you hungry for part two, I don't know what does. It makes me delirious with hunger if that doesn't make you uh hungry for the animorphs tv show coming to nickelodeon tv this fall <laughs> um that's on the front of your book it's on the no it's on the back page oh okay um i would say that this is definitely going to be the first book we've read since starting this podcast where i'm not going to wait a few days until you know the next recording gets closer to start the book i'm gonna start the book like tonight maybe <laughs> oh good yeah me too i'm excited to finish this trilogy so i'm pumped um i will say that closing thoughts of this book as far as the cliffhanger i think well i guess i can get that in my review i, I can just launch into my review right now if you want yeah you might as well man you're probably gonna say everything that i'm thinking anyway <laughs> okay so with this book, I think the book that I really wanted for the beginning of the David trilogy, now that I've processed this as an adult and I'm reading it for the first time in a while, uh, I think I would have really liked a 
inciting incident of David and everything happens with his house and him losing his parents and had like more meat to the fact that they have a new animorph. They're training that, they, you know, that you could train them. You could have like a Rocky or a karate kid style story in the middle of this first book. And I think it would have defined it better as the first book in a trilogy, you know, like they start up this mission and it goes wrong and they see the president being taken and stuff. And that's, that's interesting, but that would have been more interesting as this big build up to the first mission of this animorph they've been training for weeks to see how he does, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I agree with you. And, and if you don't mind me interrupting, uh, that would have been awesome if they had cut out the entire Eric delivering them their next Grand Theft Auto mission and and would have just stuck with, okay, we're going to use the last third of the book to just work on training a new Animorph and seeing how the team handles that. That would have been sweet. Yeah, and drop in little hints. It could have been like Revenge of the Sith, the third Star Wars movie, like having like this build up to a Darth Vader-esque villain, you know? like have... Well, Eric, Eric telling them about the presidential mission could have been the cliffhanger at the end with them being like, wow, this is our biggest mission yet. Dun, dun, dun. Are you ready, David? Yeah, yeah. So, so I want that book. But uh, since this is the book we have, I'm going to go ahead and review it. So it's got some major plot issues with uh, the Animorphs not realizing how big of a deal this is when they know it's a big deal. Like, this is obvious stuff to them, to these characters at this point in their careers as Animorphs. They should have reacted differently. So I think that's just some lacking in the... Yeah, I don't know. They wanted this opening chapter uh, or these opening chapters of them like wacky. Oh, he's at school with the blue box. We better plan it. You know, I don't know. It just falls into the normal trap of like, OK, they're going to plan a mission. They're going to go do it. But this is a bigger situation. Than this. this is like one of them being taken down to the York pool. They're not going to wait around and plan it. They're going to go down to the York pool immediately to save you know freaking Cassie on the end of the pier. Um, so I thought that was a little out of character for them. But once you get past that stuff, uh, you do get into an awesome battle scene in, in this kid's bedroom and ruining his house and destroying his life. And you set up the major concept of what makes these three books so good. We have a new Animorph. He's this desperate, kind of shitty little kid. And we're going to try to make something good out of it. We're going to make a new Animorph. And we're going to put him in the situation that we were put in in the first book. Except that they are good people. He's not good people. And you're kind of already getting hints of that. So most of the a lot of this book i'm writing a three which i think is surprising because you know this is the discovery besides the first book is probably the book i've read the most and reread the most of any of the animals books um yeah so this is a big book in my animals lineage and i was still writing a three for most of the time reading this and as much as i just want to give every book in the david trilogy a five just because the concept and the overall story is so good, I got to give this a four. It gets bumped up to a four simply oh. because the concept is so good and moments in this book are so good and the rest is at least decent and all right. I mean, there's some plot holes and missed intentions. But yeah, this is um, four Escafil devices out of, nice. out of five. Nice. And you know what? Um, no shocking surprise. I'm actually sitting right there with you at a four out of five. This is this book perfectly encompasses what I think a four out of five uh, spawn references. 
<laughs> this is this is what a four book should be. I mean, it's um, it's it's a little bit unique in that because it's part of a trilogy, the pacing is completely different, and so we get a large chunk of this book is actually set up. Um, so the scenes get to be a little bit longer. We get a little bit more um, dialogue between characters and a little bit more interactions. The the interactions, particularly between like Marco and Rachel. Are pretty comical in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 good stuff, uh, and you know as you mentioned, it's so interesting to see them trying to to struggle with adding this little shit of a kid to their team, really, <laughs> when he's just dragging his feet and being difficult. I mean, I think even even as a kid reading this thing, I recognized, man, David is just not reacting the way. I would react. He's mm-hmm. he's not, you know, he's obviously not me, but he's not handling this situation competently. I just think uh, if, if each animal book has, I mean, they, they all kind of carry their own themes. Um, and if you have this book standalone on its own, there's a lot going on. You've got this mission coming up with the presidents that's alluded to. You have, uh, you know, this whole blue box being the focus but then you're also, oh, this is the one. Like, there could have been an entire book on just some kid has the blue box and we're going to get that back. Okay, that that could have been a whole story in itself, by itself in its own book. But then this is also the book where they get a new Animorph. That could have been its own book, them deciding to bring a new Animorph into the fold. And then, Yeah, oh man, if they had actually, like, gotten the Escafil device in its own self-contained book and then spent another book being like, Trying to deal with the decision of, okay, who should we add? Like, or, they should have... Huh. Or have them, you know, have, like, the first few chapters after, like, the book where they get the Escafil device, like you were saying, uh, have the first few chapters, you know, making this hard decision on whether they want to do an Animorph or, like, bring another Animorph into their team. And then the rest of the book is their decision process. Like, meeting other kids and, like, trying to figure out the qualities of what would make a good Animorph. And then testing them and going through like this men in black testing process to bring somebody. Oh, that could have been an awesome book. <laughs> well, I think it would have been pretty sweet if they had managed to hang on to the Escafil device for a while. Uh, if they had kidnapped Tom, waited the three days till the Yurk died, and then gave him morphing power and added him to the team. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Um, that would be perfect. Fucking Melissa, you know. My gosh, bring her back in the series. Yeah, or Melissa. She could have been a character of some importance. <laughs> or just for firepower, bring Rachel's two sisters in. I'm sure they're just as crazy as she is. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize uh, why later on they didn't arm their parents as well. I think there's just, like, the parents. I mean, you see it when they come into the the whole, you know, gathering and, and they're into the know. Um they're just like they're in parent mode thinking that they're giving good input to all the discussions and they're not as experienced as the kids. <laughs> no, yeah, it quickly sets them apart as like not as capable of dealing with any of this like as I the think kids are. Cassie's parents are the only ones who give any good advice or anything. Uh maybe Rachel's dad. Rachel's no Rachel's mom is pretty helpful despite being a total bitch. Yeah. But point is, um, in this, I think you could have done the idea of a new Animorph uh, in like several different ways that were maybe stronger than this book. But because this book does have that concept, 
And because there are other interesting ideas and David's character, I think is being set up beautifully. And it's just, I think he's, he's got a really individual voice among these other kids that we've been in their heads and we already know who they are. I think they did an amazing job of making a completely new, different character from the other Animorphs. And he's not just, even though he's about to become a villain, he's not just a Visor 3 cartoon villain, you know? No, oh no, he's got way more depth than Visor 3. Mm-hmm. So sure. I can, in just one book, he's managed to get more depth to his character than Visor Three. <laughs> I can sympathize with him. I can even sympathize with him in the next two books, which I think is the much harder thing to do. But you know, I think he's one of the most realistic characters in these three books that is in the entire series. Yeah, um, no, he's he's certainly one of the more interesting characters we've seen thus far in the series. I think you could say the Animorphs themselves are like the good book heroes like they they make the right decisions they do mess up and they do have a hard time a lot but but for the most part they're what you want out of heroes and i think david is an example of what a real middle schooler would actually do if he was put in this situation like he oh, is yeah. he is a psychopath but he also reacts very realistically to the trauma and you know, terrifying situations they put them in. Yeah, um, there's going to be one of two ways that, you know, throwing somebody into a situ- situation like this can go. And we'll just say he goes the uh, less desirable path. The less desirable but awesome storytelling path. Yeah, well, there's no doubting that. Um, so next time we get to book 21, The Threat. Yeah, I'm really excited. Ominous, right off the bat. <laughs> I can I can admit to the Animorphs crowd that for a very long time throughout my childhood, I only had book 20 and book 22. So book 21 is, even though I love the David trilogy, <coughs> excuse me, book 21 is uh, the one I've read the least. I've, I've, I read straight from book 20 to 22 for a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read... I, any of these three books as well so um it'll be a real nice stroll down memory lane for me yep well i think we can wrap it up now uh we've got the first book down and i think we're both excited to jump into the other ones we have spoken all of our thoughts on the uh beginning of the david trilogy and yeah really looking forward to getting into it yep so i'm sure we missed a lot and uh we skipped over some things that you guys would want to talk about so you know, hit us up on our email, which is uh, thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com. Uh, we, we like to hang out on the subreddit for Animorphs. That's reddit.com slash r slash Animorphs. Uh, we usually do a post there with each episode and, and talk to people in the comments, which people have been pretty lively lately. And uh, you can always hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Um, our Twitter is at Morphcast, where we are followed by Michael Grant and Kay Applegate. Just throwing that out there. Pretty sweet. Yeah. And uh, yes, it is. And they both retweeted us. So we're, we're kind of big news. If you didn't know. And uh, yeah, just get a hold of us. Talk to us. We want to, we want to talk to you guys more, see what you want this show to be. If we can streamline it more, if we can, if you like some of the sections that we took away, um, just tell us your thoughts and uh, jump on iTunes and give us a review. We don't care if it's a straight up five star. We have gotten a lot of those and appreciate them, but uh, any, anybody leaving a review on iTunes is going to get the show out there and, have more people see it so we always appreciate that 
We got a lot, of, a lot of nice reviews already. We do. We can always use a couple more. Mm-hmm. So that's it for us. Uh, I'm just gonna we're gonna leave you at that, and we're excited for the next two books. We're gonna try try to get these out pretty quick so that people can enjoy the David trilogy in full. But uh, in the meantime, I'm Coleman, and I am Mitchell. Good night, everybody. Peace out, y'all.